everyone. Welcome to the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast, where mistakes are welcome, nothing is off limits, and growth is inevitable. I am Sharissa Wood. I'm Brittany Simon. And we are putting our brains together to bring you the tools you need to elevate your hygiene practice, build amazing team culture, and provide patients with the very best care. Our mission is to help empower and equip every hygienist to practice purposeful, profitable hygiene. We look to guide you on your journey towards career fulfillment by providing support, collaboration, and community to our profession. As two of the top producing hygienists in the country, we know firsthand that these things lead to sustainable and fulfilling practice and the happy side effect of high profitability. So let's get to it. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. It's Brittany and Sharissa, of course. Hello. What else else did you expect? Um, We are so glad that you're joining us today as we talk about a uh, humorously titled topic that we actually feel is very serious and very relevant uh, to what we do every day to our dentists, to hygienists, to especially newer um, practitioners who are fresh out of school. I feel like this is very applicable. And also, I think it's going to be a good kind of reminder to the OGs who have been around for a long time of um, maybe reflecting back on um, on our fresh perspective as we came out of school and to regain some of that kind of awareness and, I don't know, freshness, new, new perspective type of thing. And also, I think it's good to give... Um, newer grads, our perspective, our unique perspective on this. Uh, This episode is called Appropriately Jaded. And this is kind of a silly and lighthearted title for, like I said, a rather serious, important topic. Um, However, we thought it was appropriate to name this episode Appropriately Jaded, because we found that this is what it usually takes for clinicians, hygienists and doctors especially, to realize their value and stop giving away their time and resources to patients. So I, you know, have joked with a few of our practitioners that man, you're, you know, you're, you're so jaded. You're finally jaded to the point where you have boundaries, you know, and it's just, it's kind of unfortunate, but I've seen this repetitively, um, that it, it, what it takes for us to create healthy boundaries with our patients and with our work life, a lot of times is, is to start feeling burnout or to start feeling resentment against our jobs or our patients. But a lot of times I think that we make the mistake on the front end of, of over giving of ourselves without asking how, it's actually going to affect our relationship with our colleagues, with our patients, with our profession in the long run. So I think we tend to give a lot upfront and then kind of have regrets or have, you know, it becomes like a sore subject kind of thing if we don't kind of rein it back in. And I, and I think it's really easy at the beginning because you think about, and, and granted, this was a long time ago for me when I, (laughs) when I stepped out of school and started my first practice, but I remember feeling so much uncertainty and insecurity because, you know, you knew the school routine, you knew what that looked like, but coming out into real life practice, all of a sudden you have a lot more freedom. You know, there's not an instructor hanging over your shoulder, checking every single thing you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're quietly working in your operatory and, you know, there's, there's so much going on. You know, you think about school, you know, how many hours did it take to go through a patient? Like, four to eight hours typically, yep. right? You do so now you're seeing a patient in an hour and you right. still have to do all those things. So at first there's so much uncertainty. You know, it may be new software. It may be too, new technology. You're working with a whole new team dynamic, you know, different doctors, different, um, you know, business team, different hygienists and assistants. 
Um, you're learning the office, you're learning the software. I mean, there's so much going on that's unknown that I think, I feel like at the very beginning, you're just trying to like get your bearings. Right. So you don't often think about like even setting boundaries. You're like, I'm, I'm here to work. So I got to do whatever it takes. And you're right. I mean, I think it takes a while to get really comfortable and figure out, you know, okay, this is, I finally feel like this is my norm. This is my pace. Now, how do I kind of create a really healthy way to do this? Right. Right. And I think that when we get out too, we haven't learned a whole lot about the business of dentistry and the business of hygiene. That's something that is so uh, lacking in all of our curriculums. And I've heard from our our GPs that, you know, they, they didn't learn about the business of dentistry. We didn't learn about the business of hygiene or how a dental practice is run from like a managerial or balancing the book standpoint um, or what it takes to keep the doors open standpoint. And I think that it's great. It's a beautiful thing um, that, you know, in dental and hygiene schools, it's a lot about, you know, making a difference in the world. What difference can we make? You know, how can we help our patients? How can we make them healthier? How can we communicate in a way that gets them to yes for their own sake? Uh, And I think that what we don't really consider is where we need to draw the line, where um, we may need to say no sometimes when it's appropriate to, uh, you know, draw our own boundaries and create our own um, healthy like lines in the sand between our colleagues and our patients. And that's something that we all have to kind of eventually learn on the job, unfortunately. And I think that's why a lot of times right out of school, it kind of tends to go not so well. Um, So when, you know, and another thing is when doctors and hygienists are coming out of school, I think that our patient base in school has been, you know, either our family members or especially people of low socioeconomic status who are really willing to donate their time and risk, you know, their, their own health and their own body, their teeth and their gums to let us, you know, essentially practice on them after we practiced on mannequins, you know, a few times. Um, so that we can learn. So like we have this uh, like feeling like, oh my God, I owe you something almost like, thank you so much. Like I remember I I felt that way. Anyway, you know, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this patient is so great that they're letting me like learn with them and kind of like work on them. And I remember that feeling and, and I remember really undervaluing what I was doing for them. You know, they, you know, if you're going to a dental school or a hygiene school to have your dentistry done, um, you know, it's, the cost is very low. And I think that we become kind of conditioned to that sort of cost. And even the patient's like perspective on that cost, you know, like, I think we hear a lot of times like, oh my gosh, you know, I remember it was, I think $45 for a patient to come in, have an FMX COE, uh, you know, profi or scaling or whatever they needed. It was $45 total. And I was like, oh my God, I almost felt bad that they had to pay you know, which is such like a a crazy thing now, but I was just like, oh my God, like they're so, they're so great and so nice and so giving that they're doing this for me. But I was really undervaluing. I think we often do what we, what we're doing for those patients. You know, we are giving them really valuable service, you know, and they're, they're giving us something too, but we can't sell ourselves short, I think. And that happens so much. So when we come out of school, I think, I think we've a lot of times, and I'm generalizing obviously here, a lot of times, you know, we've formed this belief that that is our patient population. Like that's the way that patients are. These are the things that patients say. These are the things that patients believe, but really that's just a really small, uh, like population of people, you know, it's not really our real world patients necessarily it can be, you know, if we're working in a public health setting or something like that, um, or we're volunteering or, you know, doing different things, but it, for the most part, that's not our population. Right. You know, they're, they're not putting the cost first all the time. And, and I think that we come out and we put it first because that was the concern of our patients in dental and hygiene schools. You know, it was like, oh my God, this is expensive. Well, it's a third of the cost of what this is in the real world kind of thing, you know? 
Yeah. Um, sure. Yeah. We, and you know, we're all making judgments constantly. It's part of what keeps us alive, helps us to determine what's normal, how we can fit into the tribe, how others fit into our tribes and what our relationship is like in proximity to others. So this like assessment and evaluation process is normal. Um, but it's, it just can't continue and carry forward. So other things that I have seen too, like I've, I've noticed with new docs, new hygienists are when they're fresh out, uh, I, I think that they and we, you know, me just thinking about me coming out of school as well. Um, I think that we and the new grads tend to judge the practitioners who've been doing this a long time. I think that their impression might be that they're insensitive or, you know, they're not practicing by the book. They might be a little stern. Uh, they might be rigid about what works in their schedule and the way that they conduct patient care. But there's a reason why they have arrived there, you know, and they're missing all the years of experience that have contributed to why this provider has arrived at this conclusion kind of thing, you know? Um, and I think that there, there could be in some instances, some truth to this, you know, we, we may get calloused if, you know, we may become desensitized to patient needs and people's pain and that sort of thing that can happen as we interact with people. And we see a lot of it over and over again, right? We just can become desensitized. Um, but I think that it's important kind of to maintain a real view of what's actually going on. You know, um, I think that new grads have a lot to offer dentists and hygienists who've been practicing for years or decades. I absolutely love a fresh perspective. It does change the norm. It brings fresh energy to the team and it can be like a, a breath of fresh air to the team, you know, especially if you're a smaller team and you're just now getting someone who's a new grad, it can, that hope and excitement and passion for our profession can kind of reinvigorate us. And I don't want any new grads to lose that. You know, right. I don't want them to lose that. I just want them to skip the part that's painful. You know, I don't want them to have to go through pain in order to get to the healthy boundaries part. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I understand that, but I think that's also how life works and that's mm -hmm. how we learn things. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you can tell somebody over and over and over, but until they really experience it for themselves, we don't often really learn it. So, yeah. and, I, and I think that's honestly, I think that's a, a really beautiful part of the process is, you know, I think sometimes going through the hard, the hard situations, the painful situations, those are really when we learn and grow. Um, so, you know, obviously we want to shield people from that. Um, that's our goal is to help other hygienists have an easier time along the way. Yeah. But I mean, I, I also think there is some value too. And when we do bump at the, against things and, and kind of learn for ourselves. Yes, I agree. And I think that some things only really come with time and experience. I just, I think that it's important to just have an awareness that this is a problem because right. I don't think that oh, it's a globally sure. acknowledged thing or something that we could like, just know innately coming out right. of school, you know, right. that this is like an issue. I love what you just said about, you know, that, that the new grads do come out with this, like, like this excitement and this passion and this joy. Mm -hmm. and, and I totally agree with you. You know, if you step into a practice that's, that's been, you know, kind of done it the same way all along, um, you know, I feel like that can get thwarted really quickly because, you know, you come in with excitement and, and people just kind of look at you like, why, what are you so excited about? This is what yeah. we do day. Yeah. So I do think, you know, if, if you're a listener who's newly out of school and you're kind of, you know, you feel like, ah, that's, that's true. Like do yourself a favor and, and circle yourself back consistently to your, why you're doing this so that you don't lose that because patients need that patients yeah. need somebody who's going to really root for them and be excited for them 
and, you know, help them out in the, in the best way possible. Yeah. And I graduated, you know, I graduated nine years ago now, which is crazy for me to say, I can't believe 2012 is nine years ago now. Mm -hmm. I can't wait to be able to say, um, that I've been practicing for double digits. It's pretty exciting. And meanwhile, Sharice's here in her 25th year of practice. I'm glad to be working alongside such a, a badass OG like you. Okay, um, wait a minute. Before we go on, <laughs> I just need to clarify the OG because that's a new phrase to me. Tell me about OG. Where, where is this? What is this? OG, original gangster, said all the millennials. Okay. Um, it means you've been around for a long time. You've been around the block. You know what gotcha. you're doing. This is your whatever. This is your popsicle stand. This is your place. You own the place kind of thing. So I can tell my teenagers I'm gangsta today? Yes, you certainly right. can. You I'm certainly doing can. it. You can even request from Dr. Bolden a custom grill if you really want to <laughs> get adventurous. <laughs> adventurous here. So, you know, back to OGs, I think that there is some truth to the perception that the new grads have, like about the sternness and about maybe being rigid and that sort of thing. And I think there's a healthy balance to find, you know, but some of us do get comfortable in our ways, develop bad habits regarding communication or treatment planning. You know, if you think about our ergonomics now versus when we graduated out of school, you know, we've, we've formed some bad habits there, you name it. Um, some of us really need to update our continuing education and we need to get get up with the newest and most current technology, you know, new grads have a lot to offer us. Um, and I, and like I said, I love a, pr a fresh perspective. Uh, the flip side of the coin is, is also what we were just saying. It's the experience that comes with practicing for many years. You know, when that happens, we just have learned and kind of worked through trial and error through so many different products. We've said a lot of things wrong. We've, we've said things that didn't work in regards to patient communication. We've done things that didn't work, you know, and we've learned from all the things, hopefully, you know, if we're doing it right and taking a moment to reflect, we're learning from all the things that aren't working, right? So we're not just continuously suffering and tripping over the same stumbling block over and over again. Um, but after practicing for several years, you know, we start to know which methods work for us to keep our patients comfortable, which verbiage we can use to keep pe people calm or earn their trust, uh, when to check on people postoperatively, what to include and disclude in our notes, which procedures work best for us and our patients, and how to streamline patient care while maintaining a high quality of care. That all comes with time. So these are some of the pros and cons of being a new grad versus, you know, having years of experience. Um, Another thing that I think that new grads, you know, often think is like they are out and now they're like ready to save the world. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think that's part of that fresh perspective and being invigorated and excited about your career and excited about learning and starting, you know, and you just graduated and you've, you've spent all this time and money, you've put in so much effort and now you're just excited to get out there. So I think that's a beautiful thing. Like, I think that they really are out to save the world, you know, at first, um, and I, I think that sometimes, though, their perspective is they're kind of trying to save the patients from the heartless OGs, though, and that's where it gets kind of funny. Um, I, I also see that new grads, you know, and I've seen this with our new dentists that come through Spodak. Uh, I've seen this with a lot of new hygienists. They tend to undervalue their work and their investment in what they've done to become a doctor or hygienist or assistant or, you know, whatever their role is. They tend to give more of themselves than is healthy or appropriate, in my opinion, because patients, you know, quote unquote, need them. And patients do need us, you know, but they need us uh, appropriately in a way that is sustainable. And if we are overgiving on the front end, we're, there's going to be, like I said, that resentment and kind of uh, issues and 
difficulty navigating barriers on the back end. It's hard to, it's hard to go back, you know, after you've kind of given a lot of yourself. Um, and I, I think, so I, I have a, a friend who's a recent grad and I know one of the things that I didn't, you know, I kind of forgotten about and bumped into is, um, you know, you learn in school about periotherapy, Mm -hmm. Um, but you don't necessarily learn as far as coding and when to, you know, what to classify quadrant wise, 4341, 4342, 4346, when to use those and how to code those and, you know, how much time it's going to take to do those and how in the, in the vein of what you're talking about, of kind of giving yourself away and giving away services is you don't quite yet know how to, how to code all that out and how much time that's really going to take. And so I think at the big beginning, you know, I remember for myself, like there was a good period of time there that I was, you know, doing some bloody profies and I was doing some free SRPs and, you know, calling it a profi because I, once I got in the mouth, I was like, oh my gosh, there's a lot happening in here, but I, I already told her we were doing a cleaning today. So right. I do think there's, you know, a, a, and again, it's that learning curve of experience of, you know, doing that a few times to realize, oh, that was more than what I anticipated. And, you know, I think you do that a couple of times and realize, oh, okay, I, I'm learning the warning signs here. I know ahead of time, this is what I need to do. So I think that, you know, in that vein is, is definitely one of the areas that happens at the beginning. Yeah. And, and I can think of a few instances, a lot of instances, actually, when I treatment plan, when I under treatment planned, and I think that this is another common misperception of new grads is like, um, they want to be concert quote unquote conservative, which is a right. word, by the way, that I hate now. I absolutely hate like when people say I'm conservative or that's aggressive or this is conservative and that's a little like, those are such qualifying remarks. And, you know, the translation is oftentimes, you know, I'm conservative. Therefore, I'm going to identify the fact that there's a small amount of decay, a mild amount of perio and not treat it and just watch it until it becomes a bigger problem. I'm just not understanding how that's conservative, first of all, because, okay, the treatment plan is going to grow. The patient's disease is going to become more advanced. It's like you're you're conservative means you don't want to give the patient bad news. You want to be the good guy and be their friend, which is going to cost them on the back end. It's not going to be good for them in any way in regards to money, time, or treatment and, and, you know, what it does to their bodies kind of thing. And then on the aggressive end of the spectrum, it's just so funny how, you know, new grads, I hear this all the time. That's so aggressive. That's so aggressive. That's aggressive. Like, is it aggressive or is there just actual disease that we're treatment planning to arrest or fix or repair while it's in mild stage, you know, before it becomes a chronic issue or before it becomes an acute facial swelling or infection or problem, you know, and it's just, these are, these are words that I hear a lot from, from new grads, these qualifying statements. And it only took a few years for me to realize after treatment planning, you know, full mouth debridements and removing a crap ton of black calculus subgingively, you know, to realize, wow, that was a lot of work. The patient paid $50, like their copay was $50. Uh, The patient was bloody. I didn't allot enough time for this procedure. And like, holy cow, that wasn't fun for anyone. Right. You know, I didn't allot enough time. I didn't anticipate the patient's comfort or what they would need to stay comfortable during that procedure. It's just not good for anyone when you're not, you know, treatment planning according to what's best. But like you were just saying, it's like, it is trial and error when you get out in the new world. And I remember as, as a new grad, no, like I did not learn 
this is clinical presentation and therefore this is the treatment that we're going to do. It was like, we didn't qualify in hygiene school. This is going to be scaling. This is going to be perio maintenance. This is going to be profi. It was just like, remove the calculus, right. remove the plaque, disrupt the biofilm. You know, it was like it that. And, and it was all, everything. Yeah. yeah, it was all, it was all very vague. So there is definitely a learning curve in regards to that. So I have a lot of grace for our yeah. new grads while they're figuring sure. it out. I totally get it. You know, there, there's no judgment. I want to help them. And I know that you do too. Yes. Um, but I just don't want anyone to undervalue or sell themselves short. And I, and I want it to just take as few of those experiences as possible for them to get there and be like, oh, that's okay. Like now I get it. Well, and in the, in the, in the direction of saving the world and, and, you know, saving our patients, that's, that's a big part of it is, is really treating our patients appropriately. And, you know, I would encourage you if you've got a hygienist that, you know, and love, um, you know, in your practice or even Brittany or I, you know, somebody that you, you know, kind of instill your trust in it, it, nothing hurts to say, Hey, can we have a chat? I want to talk to you a little bit about how you, how you put your plans together and how much time that takes. And, you know, that that's kind of that growth mind mindset that you can have of like, I want to talk to somebody who has done this, mm-hmm. who's already paved the way so that I don't have to re- reinvent the wheel. I yeah. think that's, that's a really valuable thing. Yeah. And it opens the conversation for like, okay, why this versus that? How did you come to this conclusion versus that? Because it becomes about the nuances too, right? Right. Like, so a lot of times what I really love about working on such a big team of hygienists is like, we all learn from each other's verbiage too. So, so many times, like I'll, I'll see a hygienist just like stalking my room and I'm like, Hey, do you need something? And they're like, no, I'm just standing here listening to what you're saying, you know? But like, I've done that many times too, you know, and I've learned a lot of things from other hygienists. There isn't a reason to reinvent the wheel if someone's already doing it and it's working for them, you know, like, like why, why not do it their way? So I, I love that because we learn from each other so much. Um, yeah, but I've, I've loved, and I'm just reflecting on some of our like newer grads, I've loved watching them grow. And I've seen how they've developed from kind of undervaluing and not really knowing how to treatment plan, having a lot of these conversations and them just like feeling a lot more confident moving forward with the right things and, and just everyone being more comfortable and, and happier, you know, in their jobs. Yeah. I'm starting to see them like develop into really valuing what they're doing for the patients. And, and when you value what you do, your patient is going to see that and sense that and feel that. And I think realize the value even more, you know, if we don't put a value on our work, we undervalue it. I think it, definitely opens the door and sets kind of the expectation or like almost allows patients to undervalue our work too. Specific ways that I feel like I've, you know, gone too far in the no boundaries uh, in an attempt to take the very best care of the patient, but discovered on the back end that it was kind of a mistake things here. Um, Some of the ways that I've seen this play out is when providers especially give their personal phone numbers to patients. I think that's definitely a personal decision and right. also something to be very, very careful with, right? Because of one HIPAA purposes, like we don't want to be communicating on an unsecured line or whatever, you know, sensitive information about right. someone's treatment. So that's one thing. But a lot of times I have found that we tend to give our personal numbers, our providers give their personal numbers to patients who are like the most kind of unstable, emotional Um, or maybe people who aren't fits for the practice because we want to make them happy. We want to make them like us. We want to make them whatever, but that's like, man, problem number one, you're setting yourself up for, for failure. You know, I, I used to do this actually. Um, and it was, it was a standard and is kind of a standard at Spodak to, after you give anyone local anesthetic for any procedure to call them the next day and just follow up and see how they're doing and how they're feeling. So when I was, you know, doing non-surgical periotherapies and I'd get someone numb, Usually on my way home, 
I would call them because I didn't want to sit at the office and just, you know, make phone calls for hours. So on my way home, I would, I would call patients and be like, how are you doing? You know, how are you feeling? Go through all that stuff. But then I would find on the back end in the future, they would text me on weekends. They would text me to make their next appointment. They would call me, you know, for a problem that wasn't my problem kind of thing, you know? So it, it led to this, these uncomfortable scenarios in the future. And it really undermined my relationships with those patients. You know, right. like I allowed them to overstep their boundaries. Right, I right. T- showed them that was okay. Right. You know, and that was, and that was acceptable when it really wasn't to me. And I just didn't think about it. Right. Yep. Yeah. It's a great way to get taken advantage of. Yes, yeah. totally. You've been to the summit. You've heard the podcast. You followed us on social media. And we are excited to announce that the Bulletproof Hygiene Book is finally here. Teresa and I have compiled our 33 plus years of collective clinical experience regarding the most relevant and important topics in hygiene to catapult your career into the next level. Take a deep dive into all aspects of dental hygiene as we share our personal wins and losses, tips, tricks, and actionable steps that lead to excellent patient care, healthy team culture, high practice profitability, and fulfillment in our profession. You can find the book entitled Bulletproof Hygiene, the guide for finding fulfillment through purposeful, profitable hygiene on amazon.com and have your copy in hand in just two days. Happy reading. New grads tend to come in early, stay late, work through lunch to accommodate even non-emergency patients out of the quote unquote kindness of their hearts. You know, they give large or frequent discounts on their work in order to make sure a person gets the care that they need a lot of times, instead of referring them to an admin team member who can discuss with them financing options. So they, they not only give a lot of themselves emotionally and in regards to their time, but they also give, I, I have found just in general, a lot, a lot of discounts, you know, they give the free fluoride, they, you know, give 20%, they, you know, they, they give a lot of away, I think, And I think that usually happens before we realize the value of what we're doing and how much work it's actually going to be. And do you think that comes from just the discomfort, kind of that uncomfortability of having hard conversations, you know, like if a patient challenges you on, oh, well, I didn't know that there was a fee for that. I don't want to pay that, you know, instead of, you know, really educating the patient on why we do it and what the value is, you know, there's that immediate, like uncomfortable, like, okay, well, no worries. We'll just write that off for today. Yes. Yeah. I think so. I think definitely. Yeah. It's a, it's a communication thing. And I think it's not knowing like what, what's okay and what's not, and what's normal of people to right. do and what's not in our new population, you know, because right. it's not the same as our hygiene school or dental school population. Correct. So it's kind of like learning the, the people in your practice. Too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, another thing that I see new grads do doctors and hygienists is that they're like overly nice to patients who are not necessarily nice to the team. And it's, it's like that likability thing. It's like, they want to be liked and we want to, we want to make everyone happy and make sure everyone's healthy. Even the, the people who are taking us for granted, or even kind of being verbally abusive to us in some scenarios. And that just enables those patients to keep acting that way. So that's usually when you get the worst behaviors, like, okay, let's say I have, you know, Miss Jones, Miss Jones is kind of like being disrespectful in some way. She's doing something that's kind of inappropriate. I tell the doctor, doctor comes in, Hey, Miss Jones, you know, let's bend over backwards for you to make you happy. Meanwhile, it's a Miss Jones problem, you know, and Miss Jones just verbally berated me. And now you're here having Miss Jones's back, you know, what does that do for the team? It doesn't help at all, you know, and now you've just taught Miss Jones that she can act like that and she can talk to me like that. And you're going to kind of take 
that person's side instead of the team side and you're and you're not exercising healthy boundaries there and that hurts relationships with your team members. Yeah. And I think that's a good point Brittany because I don't think coming out of school, you know, I think again you coming you're coming out and you're excited, you want to take care of everybody, you want to do your best for everybody. And and you may not realize the truth that not every patient is a good fit for your practice. Yeah. Not every hygienist or assistant or doctor is a good fit for your practice. I mean, you know, we, we talk all the time about having a common vision and purpose and, you know, that everyone's on the same page and going the same direction, you know, a new grad coming out you, you we're excited. So we want to take care of everybody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we don't necessarily yet know that there's some really difficult people out there yeah. um, that we don't have to completely cater to. Now, obviously yeah. we do have to learn the art of caring for diff- difficult patients and difficult people. That is reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that I think, again, you lean on your team for that, but um, yeah, I think just kind of knowing that, that it's okay. It's okay to say, maybe we're not the best fit for you here. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, of course it goes back to that's never our knee jerk. We don't want to get rid of patients. Correct. We want them to be welcome and feel Correct. comfortable and whatever. But yes, there. I think it's freeing to accept like we're not for everyone. They're not for us. Like it's it's okay. It's all good. You know, we can have this appropriate parting if that's necessary. It's okay. Um, you know, the flip side of some of this too. I know that I keep bouncing back and forth between like the new grads, the OGs, because I just think of different traits as we're kind of discussing this. Um, <clears throat> but what I see after months or years of someone kind of disrespecting their own boundaries or going above and beyond for these patients. And then kind of like, it starts dawning on them that, oh, that, that was kind of abusive of them. Why did I accept that behavior? Or, wow, I'm working all my weekends now and through lunch. And now I resent those patients and I'm angry at, you know, my admin team for continuing to schedule that way, even though I've accepted that in the past and kind of taught everyone that this was acceptable behavior. Now I have to backtrack that's really hard to undo. It's really frustrating. You can't ungive your number to patients. And now you have to say, have uncomfortable conversations like, Hey, please don't text me on weekends. You know, I'm happy to help you with an emergency, but please don't, you know, blah, blah, blah. Now you've, now you've got a lot of follow-up work that you just created for yourself right. and that can feel really bad. Um, so the flip side is like, after all the stress of this and kind of some of the outcomes start showing up in our lives, um, and we gain a little more experience, um, you know, after stress, abuse, neglect of our own time and resources, there, there can be that resentment against our patients and our profession that, that builds. This is when I've seen providers become calloused or mean and cranky and desensitized to people's pain. Uh, they may not be willing to work with people anymore who actually may need and be worthy of the financial help or, you know, may need an, an accommodation. And it may be the appropriate thing, you know, in that instance, it's like, it's the opposite extreme. You know, there's so much like built up uh, pain and resentment and kind of like injuries that we've caused ourselves by not having healthy boundaries from the get go that sometimes um, it, we become unbalanced in the opposite way. Right. Um, and, and, that's and a lot of we, times that's go, when we start questioning, like, why am I doing this? Did I make the right decision? Or we start like looking for the door, you know, maybe another practice will be different. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or is this, like you said, is it the right career? Or right. Did I do something? You know, we start getting that burnout, that burnout. That's just it is avoidable. Um, if we look at reality, oftentimes the abuse we have allowed has been our choice. And I think that that can be, you know, painful to look at, but it's an important thing to look at because we have a certain amount of control 
over what is going on in our lives and how we interact with patients and how we allow them to interact with us. And then we've got the component that isn't within our control, which is, you know, what they do, what their attitude is, what they accept and don't accept, you know, but the things that we can control really, really important that we do. And what I really want to see happen is I really want to see that providers don't wait until they start feeling abused to really create and implement healthy boundaries regarding scheduling and patient care and trusting other providers' impressions and intuition about patients who may not be fits for the practice. Um, I wish that they wouldn't accept unacceptable behavior. And this all involves a lot of self-awareness right? You know, as people, not just as hygienists and doctors. It, it involves a lot of self-awareness. Um, and I, I want them to be able to preserve relationships on the front end. So what I mean by that is I'll, I'll give an example. Um, I think of gift giving. So this is one of the most important lessons that I've learned in, in life in general. It sounds extreme, but it really is. If, I, if I'm giving a gift to someone and I ask myself, what is my intention for giving this gift? And what are my expectations after I give this gift? Okay, let's say it's a holiday. I'm giving someone a gift and I have an expectation that they're going to give me a gift back. Okay. So is that gift really a gift? Is it really with no strings right. attached? Right. Like where, what does my come from? Is this going to set our relationship up for failure or success in the future? Right. So maybe like, okay, let's say this holiday is approaching. I want to give Sharissa a gift, but really my underlying thought for giving her a gift is I feel obligated. I want her to give me a gift. Um, I'm expecting something back. If I look at that, and, and my expectations aren't met, is this going to injure our relationship in the future? And if the answer is yes, it may be more injurious because these are my actual intentions and motives if I'm honest with myself, then it would be less damaging to not give the gift. Right. You know, because, it, and it's not like, you know, I, I think it's really just important that we're honest with ourselves in regards to this. You know, a lot of times if we question what, how is this going to impact our relationship in the future? Am I going to have resentment? Do I have expectations here? What are they? Does the other person know about my expectations? That will help us to determine, you know, healthy boundaries because right. it's not about keeping people out or putting up a brick wall and not right. being vulnerable or anything like that. It's about uh, maintaining relationships. It is. Yeah. It's about it's about me being healthy and safe and feeling good about what we're both bringing, what we're both giving and contributing, and how we treat each other. Right. Absolutely. I mean, there's a whole reason we work with a team of people. It's all about the relationships. It's about our relationships as team and with our patients directly. I mean, that to me, that's life. Life is relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what makes it worth it. Yeah. That's what makes it exciting. Well, and I think, you know, what you're talking about is yes, obviously we're coming from a prevention based mindset. Mm -hmm. You and I personally, Mm -hmm. we do that for all things, for patient care, for team culture, for all things. So of course, in this department, as we're talking to new grads coming out, like, hey, we want you to think about it before it happens and set up some really healthy boundaries so you don't have issues. And I, and I agree with that. And I think that's a smart preventative way to do it. But in reality, I also want to say, based on what you're saying here, that when you do bump up against something, and you do kind of find yourself leaving the office and you're like, that didn't feel good today. I didn't like that. Like that didn't go well. Like instead of just having that thought and stopping there, mm -hmm. you carry that out. Like you said, if you're going to give a gift, like think about why am I doing this? And, and what are my, what are my expectations? Walking away at the end of the day, if there's something that doesn't feel good or feel right, taking the time to kind of really think that through, like, 
why didn't that feel good? Did I have a different expectation that that didn't get met? Did I communicate effectively? What could I have done different and what could I do in the future to prevent that? Right. And I think so many times we just leave the office and we're tired and we're frustrated. And I mean, I'm, if I, I, I can speak to this for myself, like there's days I leave and I'm just like, oh, today just kicked me in the face. Mm -hmm. And instead of going home and really just because like I'm tired and I've had it and I don't want to go back tomorrow, kind of, you know, that kind of thing, mm -hmm. you just like just sit in that. And that's not a healthy thing. I think really what you got to do is kind of sit down and think about, okay, wait, why did that happen? And what could I have done? I have done differently. And what can, what could I make better next time? So right. I think, I think even though we're going to talk about creating some boundaries, I think you also need to implement asking yourself a lot of questions when things didn't go like you wanted them to. Right. And I think, you know, on the front end, this sounds like a lot of work and it is, it is work to sit there and question until there aren't any more questions about our motives. And did I communicate that and whatever, but the alternative is we suffer slowly over a long period of time, instead of just doing work right now and figuring out how to not suffer in the future. You know, right. it's like a lot of times we want to put off the work that there is to do now because it's hard or it involves energy or, you know, we've got other things to do, but then in the future, we have all this resentment and frustration and we're constantly tired and we're overwhelmed and don't like our jobs and whatever. And it's just because we're not dealing with what's going on now when it's happening. Right. We're not being and having those honest questions right. or having those honest conversations with ourselves and asking good questions. Right. And I think so much of it is perspective too. Um, I think when we find ourselves in a hard or a tough place, it gets really easy to kind of make it very me centric and, and I'm frustrated and this didn't go right for me. And just like a super small example, like, you know, if you have say right now in the time of COVID, right, we have our business team lets us know when our patients are there. So we actually go out to their car, you know, and scan their temperature and, you know, make sure they filled out their questionnaire and, and do all that before they come in. So if you've been waiting and, and you, you see that your patient's not there and your, your admin team didn't check them in, it's super easy in that moment because maybe you've already had a frustrating, frustrating morning to be like, I can't believe that she wouldn't tell me that, you know, and it all of a sudden it's like, it just adds that negativity. Mm -hmm. And then you go up front to ask and she's on the phone with a patient who's being really hostile. And all of a sudden you're like, you just let that go. Cause you're like, oh gosh, I see that somebody else, like she's really struggling here. I thought I was struggling. I'm not struggling at all. And you just let that go. Mm -hmm. So I think so much of it too, is about that perspective of like looking outside of yourself to see what's really going on. Yeah. And, and depersonalizing and gaining yes. some healthy detachment. Yes. Yeah. I yeah. totally, yes. Um, so one thing that I try to do in relationships now is ask, what is my motive for doing or not doing this thing for someone else? You know, what are my expectations of that person in response to what I'm doing? Am I really giving with no expectations? If I need boundaries, what should they be? If I do have expectations, have I communicated them to the other person? Uh, what will this action or inaction mean for the future of our relationship? And will it likely cause resentment and frustration for either of us or be empowering and helpful to the future of our relationship? So these are all quality questions that we can ask ourselves when interacting with patients and considering where to draw the lines in those relationships as well. So I recently read a really relevant article. Uh, it's by a speech pathologist or a speech therapist named Ginger Jones. It was written in 2019 and it's called Creating Healthy Clinical Boundaries with Patients and Clients. So even though this isn't dentistry, it's not dental hygiene, it's very, I thought it was very relevant to what we do and the boundaries and the suggestions that she uh, kind of provided 
I've, it really resonated with me. So I'm going to go ahead and actually read this. It's a, it's a, about a page and a half. So I'm just going to go through uh, quickly, but I think it's worth, worth reading and worth listening. So hang on with us if you can. Um, so she wrote, in our work helping our clients and patients, creating boundaries can be hard. We audiologists and speech language pathologists do this work because we care and we care deeply. We want to be there for our patients and their families. We want them to know we care and we want them to feel supported. Additionally, in our professions, we often see patients every week and sometimes multiple times a week. For us, multiple times a year, you know, recare, preventive, all that. We develop bonds formed on the foundations of trust and compassion. However, if we aren't careful, the line between healthy and unhealthy boundaries can blur. We might not even realize we've moved beyond healthy boundaries with clients, patients, students, or families until a limit gets pushed. Sometimes we even burn out because we didn't set intentional and clear boundaries. Boundaries provide a strong framework for building great relationships. They allow us to set guidelines on what we will and won't do with a clear conscience through proper boundaries and clear communication about our boundaries, we, we show care and respect to clients and their families. So that's, I think, an important thing to remember and look at, too, is like boundaries, yes, they are for us, they're to respect our time, but they're also respecting and preserving the future of our relationship with the clients and the patients. So how can we create healthy boundaries to help us provide the best care? First, setting boundaries doesn't signal you don't care or that you're selfish, quite the opposite. Boundaries show you value a relationship enough to be thoughtful about making sure it thrives. Also, don't assume others will be put off by boundaries. Many people respect you and be glad to know where they stand. So here's some steps to creating healthy boundaries. Ponder situations or relationships in your life that you feel take advantage of you. Is there a theme to those situations or relationships? For example, does a patient always contact you on the weekends and expect a response? Does a colleague disrespect your time by monopolizing your paperwork time with their drama? Get clear on your priorities and what you are and are not willing to do. Give yourself some time and space to figure it out. Think of this as creating a policies and procedures manual for yourself. Don't take it personally if someone responds poorly to you setting a boundary. You can't control others' reactions. You can only control how you communicate your boundaries. So make sure you do so respectfully. Setting boundaries helps you take care of yourself. Poor boundaries can lead to resentment and burnout. You owe it to yourself, your patients and your family and friends to be intentional about boundaries so that you can excel in your work and enjoy your life. So here's some behaviors to avoid when setting and maintaining healthy boundaries. Don't let families think you're the only person who can help their child or help them. Over the course of my career as an SLP and, and also as a business owner, I often hear families say they quote unquote, can't live without a particular clinician. I realize this is usually just a figure of speech, but I've also encountered situations in which a lack of boundaries led a family to be overly dependent on a clinician. Be mindful of these situations. We work to empower clients, patients, students, and their families to succeed on their own. Avoid socializing with patients, families outside of work. You'll get close to some families over the course of your career, and at times you'll feel like you're friends with a patient or a patient's family. Spending time with a patient outside of work can confuse all parties about the nature of the relationship. Also, should any accident happen involving you, a patient, or their family outside of work, you or your employer could get held liable. It's a good idea to check your employer's policy on this. Inevitably, the longer you work with a patient and their family, you might become familiar with interpersonal relationships within their family dynamic. Make sure you always remain objective about such relationships and keep the services you provide within your scope of practice. So I think all 
great points. I think it's important, you know, I think sometimes it's an ego thing for us to want to be the one and only, like we want to be the sole providers. We want to do everything and help our patients so much, but we, I think it's healthy for them to know there are other providers who can help them and meet their needs when we are not available. And there will be times in our lives when we're on vacation, we're out sick, you know, that like life happens where we are clinicians, but we're also people, you know? So I think it's healthy for our patients to understand yes, I'm here for you. I, I love you. I care for you. I want to be here for the future of your treatment and I will be. And also in my absence, here's Sharissa. She's great too. You know, she'll take great care of you. Like, you know, it's just, that's a healthy thing. Like we don't need the egotistical dependency that makes us feel important. You know, it's, it's okay to say here, get to, get to know another provider or, you know, just in case here, you're so-and-so, you know? Right. Um, I think that the avoiding socializing with, with people outside of work, that's an important line to draw because if we're giving our attention and our hours outside of our working hours to our patients, then we're not giving it to our families, our friends, our hobbies, you know, it's taking more time away. And that's, I think one of the biggest thing, things that makes us feel like, oh, you know, I was just here at the office yesterday until 9 p.m. You know, I feel like I was working and now I must have slept here because here I am again. You know, it just feels like we're never off the the work wheel. Right. You know, um, I think- and I go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I like the, the last part too, where it, it talks about the interpersonal relationships, because oftentimes we do see families, you know, we see families, they talk about, I'm getting a divorce, or this is what's going on right now. My kids are, you know, going through this and hear different things from each spouse or the significant other. And it's really important to just remain totally objective. So these, in addition to like respecting our own time and, you know, respecting our own value and that sort of thing, like respecting everyone's family and autonomy and their structure and, and what they're, they're doing is important too in their privacy. Yeah. And I, I was going to say, there's one other area I can think of that boundaries are super, super important for us as hygienists, because timing is super important for us as hygienists. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that's one of the biggest struggles we have is, you know, when you get that patient that loves to tell you about everything and loves to talk and talk and talk, um, you know, sometimes that's really hard and, and it's hard to create that balance and that boundary. Um, but I think just being really honest and transparent is a great way to deal with that. You know, when you've got a patient who is just, you know, a talker is, you know, hear him out a little bit and say, oh my gosh, I really want to hear the end of the story. But I also, I've got another patient to see, you know, in a little while. And I want to make sure that I get your mouth really, really clean and healthy today. Mm-hmm. So let me get started and we'll see if we've got some time at the end. You know, it's, I think it's just that time boundaries are really important as well. Yeah. It's, it's okay to be direct yes. and considerate. And yes. that is, it's considerate of your time, of their time, of the next patient's time, you know, and that's the big picture. It's not about them liking you or thinking what right. you're saying is okay or not. Okay. It's like, we've got, we've got to set those boundaries and those expectations and people for the most part, you know, the people who are healthy and want to have a long-term relationship will respect and adjust and adapt to our boundaries. And that's what I would do for them. You know, that's right. what any of us would do for them as well. Um, so I hope that this was helpful to everyone. This is just my, our, our two cents and kind of our anecdotal experience. I've watched so many new dentists and hygienists kind of go through the motions of, uh, experimenting with some of these things, making similar mistakes, you know, and these are just some of the patterns that we've seen over time. So I hope that this helps to cut out, uh, some of that real world's uncertainty a little bit. And, you know, we're talking about, how a lot of this 
only develops with experience and with time. And that's absolutely true. But I hope that this helps everyone to kind of gain some perspective. Yes. Agreed. Teresa, any other thoughts? I've been waiting the whole podcast to say this. Gangsta out. (laughs) Everybody have a great week. Come connect with us on our Mighty Networks app, Bulletproof Hygiene. Um, It's a great place, you know, to ask questions and, and create community. So if you've got some questions based on what Brittany and I talked about today, please, please, please come meet us there. Ask everything. We would love to connect with you. And if you want to see us in person, live and in person, we are going to be in Austin, Texas um, at the Bulletproof Summit, uh, July 9th and 8th and 9th, sorry. Um, And you can find us where for that, Brittany? It's uh, bulletproofsummit.com is where you can register. Yes. And it's going to be at Lost Pines Resort, which looks really amazing, amazing in Austin. I'm so looking forward to the, you know, all the stuff that there is to do while we're there, in addition to just seeing so many faces and meeting a lot of you in person. So we really hope that you'll join us for that. And um, we promise to post a picture of Charissa wearing a gold grill on our Bulletproof Hygiene Mighty Network. So make sure that you join our network, even if it's just to see a picture of Charissa wearing a grill. Because she is the most OG, OG that there is. Love you too. (laughs) All right. Everybody have a great week. We will see you next time. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Bulletproof Hedging Podcast. We hope you've had as much fun as we have. Don't forget to click subscribe for a lot more where this came from. We appreciate your support and promise to keep the hygiene gems coming. Keep track of upcoming Bulletproof Hygiene events by visiting bulletproofhygiene.com or download the Mighty Networks app and search Bulletproof Hygiene to stay connected. We want to hear from you.